G.K. Chesterton said that uh, we, the true soldier fights uh, not because he hates what is in front of him. Uh, the true soldier fights because he loves what is behind him. We fight not because we hate those who are in front of us. We fight because we love our future generation. And therefore, we have to fight in a sense. So let me just say a word of prayer and then I'll bring God's word to you. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Uh, many times, uh, we as believers, we become so... Uh, such a coward uh, to stand up for what we believe in. We bow and we bend down to pressure by those who are around us. And we are obsessed of trying to please people all the time. And we have forgotten that the gospel, in some sense, is very offensive as well. And so give us courage to speak boldly of your word. Because the world suffers a lot not from the violence of few bad people, but it's actually from the silence of the good majority. And so we pray that you give us the courage uh, to do what is right, because the time may come when we say that someone is a sinner is amounting to hate speech. Uh, so help us to do our bit so that we can continue to protect our children to believe, to have the rights to believe what they profess to believe. So it gives us courage, uh, gives us bonus, and never mind if we are disapproved by the world. Never mind if the world hates us, which is what the Word of God says if you are a disciple of Jesus, and live up to what the Word of God says. Help us to live boldly and only seek to please one person, and that is you. So be with us as we uh, study your Word, uh, stir our hearts uh, and our mind so that we can love Jesus with our heart and our mind, our soul, and our strength. Amen. Uh, this morning when my wife was uh, reading her devotions, she read uh, wonderful stories to me, and I thought, well, I can use this for the uh, start of my sermon. He said, some years ago, I heard about a clergyman who had a friend who was an actor, and the actor was drawing large crowds of people and the clergyman was preaching to a few in the church. Uh, he said to his actor friend, Why is it that you draw great crowds and I have no audience at all? Your words are sheer fiction and mine are unchangeable truth. The actor's reply was quite simple. Well, I present my fiction as though it were truth. You present your truth as though it were fiction. And then the conclusion of the devotion says, I fear that so often we Christians give the idea that the truth is fiction by the way we live and by the lack of dedication to the teaching of our Lord. And I say, well, I can use this as a start to my sermon in terms of James. James' focus is that, isn't it? James' focus is passionately trying to uh, uh, encourage Christians to live up their faith, to be consistent with what they believe in. And uh, the difficult text has uh, been done by uh, Caroline. I leave all the hard one for her to do. I'll just do the very simple one and straightforward stuff. So the theological debate and all that, I'll leave it to her to, to do that. And so last week, she mentioned about the difference between Paul and James on the emphasis of faith. Uh, there's absolutely no conflict at all because they were fighting from different contexts. Uh, Paul was fighting from the problem of legalism, and James was fighting from the problem of laxity. And Paul focuses on the root of salvation, what happens on the inside. 
And James focuses on the fruit of salvation, what happens on the outside. And Paul stresses the essence of salvation, which is faith alone in Christ, where James stresses the evidence of salvation, what is works before men. And Paul is talking about how to know you are a Christian. And James simply talks about how to show you are a Christian. Paul talks about how to become a believer, whereas James talks about how to behave like a believer. And Paul is concerned with the means of justification, whereas James is concerned with the result of justification. So they are arguing from different contexts and no uh, conflict at all. And we all do that, isn't it? We often like to, when somebody quote us out of context, we often say that. Isn't it? You can read the context, what we are talking about. So words need to be read in the context. And so we come to the text at this junction of James chapter 3. is talking about taming of the tongue. And, uh, and I titled my sermon, Victory Over the Troublesome Tongue. They said, what is the most powerful weapon in the world? Contrary to popular opinion, the most powerful weapon in the world is not the atomic bomb, nor is it some laser beam aimed from outer space. Indeed, it is not even a weapon made by man. And we all know there is no there is weapon that is more powerful than any other weapon known to man, and it has been in existence since the creation of mankind. It has been known to start wars, it has been known to ruin friendship, sparse national revolution, it has ruined more reputation, wrecked more homes, split more churches, driven more men out of the ministry, and caused more hatred than any other weapon in the world. Concealed as a sniper, quick as a bullet, and deadly as a gun, it is a three-inch animal that lives in the pool of saliva behind an ivory cage, guarded by 32 guards, known as the tongue. There's incredibly awesome power in the tongue. Someone said, the true test of our faith is not my ability to express my beliefs, but rather my ability to control my tongue. What we say and how we say it makes a difference, and taking control of our conversation is so important that the Bible says a few things, isn't it? Let me just read to you the uh, verses that I'm going to preach from, and I want to give to you three points, and each point, James gave us two illustrations. Uh, James said, Paul, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take sheep as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, 
sets the whole cause, think of the word, the whole cause of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who, made, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let me give you a few verses. Proverbs 21 says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. James 1, we've covered uh, a while back. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. 1 Peter 3 says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. So all these verses tell us the power of tongue, the uh, necessary way of trying to control the tongue. But you must understand in James' situation, the context is the fact that community is not living up to what they profess to believe as they gather together to worship. As I said before, it is a bit like a brethren style of worship where one person will stand up and speak God's word and the other person and another person can stand up and say God's word but the problem in the community is one person speak up and preach say God's word the other person not happy and the person will stand up and counter back the other person and therefore James uh, specifically tells us to be quick to listen slow to speak so as not so as slow to become angry in the context of receiving God's word and then he went on to say that well you have to keep tight rein of your mouth and humbly accept what God's word says humbly accept it and here he continued this line of thought and thinking in verse 1 he said well not many of you should become teachers Yes, there is a platform for you to do that in the community of the church, but not many of you should become teachers. Just stand up and hammer and counter the person saying certain things about God's word. You disagree, you stand up, you quote another scripture to, to counter them. He said, no, not everybody should become teachers because you know we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, this is in no way suggesting that no one should aspire to become a teacher of God's Word. Uh, there are many, many good verses in the Bible to ask believers to aspire, to want to go down the pathway of teaching God's Word. Even the Great Commission itself, not just go and make disciples. And the third part is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Oftentimes, the Great Commission, we left out the third bit, isn't it? We often talk about go and make disciples, but we don't realize the Great Commission also includes teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, meaning discipleship. 
And there are verses where Paul said, well, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And then in Timothy, he also talks about uh, if a man desires the office of an overseer, it's good, which includes the desire to teach as well. So it is not in any way suggesting that we don't aspire into the position of teaching God's word. It is only to underscore the fact that those who teach will be judged more strictly in the way we handle God's word. And we don't mishandle God's word or quote God's word out of context in the sense. And verse 2 is talk about if you are able to control your tongue, you are basically able to control every bit of your life. He said, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Now, the word perfect in, in the original word it simply means mature or healthy. Uh, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So if you are able to have whole tight rein over your tongue and words, you practically can control every part of your body. In fact, you can control all of your life in some sense because the hardest part to control is the tongue. And if you are able to control the hardest bit of it, then the rest is simple. The, the, the rest is easy. You know, it's almost like if you are able to uh, conquer the cause of the, the Australian ninja, you know. Uh, it's, it's a breeze if you were to just go across there to the gym and do those things, you know, run the tires and all that. Uh, um, That is the case. James is trying to say tongue is so important. If you can hold tight rein and control that, then every bit of it will be easier. Let me just give to you three things that James is saying why uh, it is necessary to tame the tongue. Why must we watch what we say? Why we must tame the tongue? And here, as I said, James gave three reasons, and each reason he gives two illustrations. Uh, so let me just give to you these three reasons, and I hope I won't take too long. Uh, the first point is because my tongue directs where I go. Your tongue directs where you go. It has tremendous influence and control over your life. Where are we heading and all that? It all comes from our words. He said, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. It directs the horse. So your words, your tongue direct you where you go. It's very small, it's very tiny. And because it's tiny, we think it's insignificant, but it has tremendous power. A horse probably, or stallion, probably weighs about two to 3,000 pounds pounds but the jockey only weighs maybe 95 pounds and yet with that 95 pounds you actually literally can control the 3,000 pounds animal just with that small little tiny bit that you turn left right up down or whatever uh, I've never driven a horse before I don't know maybe just sitting on the zoo and then just People pull you around, you know, just one round kind of things. I've done it before, but, um, but it, it can direct where you go if you control your tongue. And then verse 4 tells us, well, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. 
So again, uh, it can direct you. It can direct where you go. Uh, it has been said that Queen Mary, I know some of you have been to the cruise ship, Queen Mary. I'm going on one soon. Uh, Queen Mary has three acres of recreational space. And the anchor alone is equal to the weight of 10 cars. Yet a relatively small rudder directs the huge ocean liner out in the middle of the waves and winds and sea. Just the rudder. And James is saying, your tongue is like that. It can direct your future directions. It can steer you. You can steer. You can direct where you go. Your tongue is the steering wheel of your life. It is the guidance system. It's like a GPS. If you don't like the way you are headed right now, maybe it's time to change the way we talk. Well, some people will swing to the other extreme because their tongues cause so much trouble. They say, well, maybe the best thing to do is don't speak anything. Just keep quiet. But don't, that's not really a good solution. A story about a, a guy who joined the, the monastery because he wanted to tame his tongue. And so for three years, he was given a probation period where he was not to speak at all. And every year, he can only speak two words. Two words! So end of the year, end of the first year, the chief monk asked him to come in. What do you have to say? He said, well, bed hard. The bed is very hard. And at the end of the second year, he asked, uh, what is your second year word that you want to speak to me? He said, food cold. In the end of the third year, he's about had it. He comes in and says, what's your third word? Uh, third, uh, two words, third year. He said, I quit. <laughs> well, and so the head the monk said, well, that doesn't surprise me. All you've done is complain since you got here. <laughs> and so, so the way to... Uh, uh, Tame the tongue, or, or don't have to swing to the other extreme, don't speak anything. The, the, James is not saying you don't speak anything, but, but control it. Control it. So that's the first reason that uh, James gives to us. Uh, the, the, the way to tame our tongue is recognizing that tongue can direct you. And he gave the example of the bit and the rudder. And secondly, he gave another reason. Because my tongue can destroy what I have. Your tongue can destroy you if you don't tame it. And again, he gave two examples. Give two illustrations to this point. He said, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small Spark. Fire. His tongue is like fire. Imagine a beautiful forest, tall, beautiful trees everywhere. Imagine in one minute up in smoke, completely destroyed instantly with a little tiny match. And it only takes a spark to get a fire going, isn't it? In the song that we used to sing, Pass It On. And James said that your tongue can destroy like that. You can lose it all just with that word. And gossip is like that too, isn't it? It's like fire. It spread quickly and it wrecks havoc. You know, I wonder how many people because of a careless word have destroyed their marriage or their career or their reputation or the reputation of another or their church. 
or a friendship. And the tongue not only has the power to direct where you go, but it also has the, to dis, the capacity to destroy what you have if you don't learn to control it. It's like a fire. And they say that, and another one, he said, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Have you heard a verbal arsonist? You can destroy people with your words. There's this phrase that uh, during the World War I, uh, enemy spies used to hang around the British pubs uh, to hear loose talks about ship movements. And sailors would talk about their next assignments, where they were going when they were leaving, and vital information for the German submarines, just a few careless words would tip the enemy off, and thousands of lives would be lost. And the slogan was raised to remind people of the terrible devastation that could result from words ill-spoken. Anybody knows this? All right. Loose lips sing ships. And therefore, uh, here again, James warned us of the essential of uh, controlling our lips. A sport journalist says this, says, I am more deadly than the screaming shell from the heart wizard. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocent is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to dawn me. I have no regard for truth. No respect for justice. I have no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and I seldom forgive. And my name is Gossip. And so it will destroy. It will destroy. And if you are arson, uh, You've got to be careful. And then he gave another example. Not just only the tongue is like a fire that can destroy. He said it corrupts the whole body. He sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself is set on fire by itself. He said all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly Poisoned. Quite scary, isn't it? He said, he said that it's like animals. The tongue is like animal. You can't really easily tame. It is very hard to tame. In fact, he said no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It is a domino effect. And Proverbs 18 said, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Of all the, all the animals we tame, no man can tame the tongue, humanly speaking. It also says that it is restless. That means it's always liable to break out at any moment. It's a restless thing. It is always ready to, to, to come out of the cage. I've never been to any uh, drive through safari before, except once when I was working in Indonesia. Uh, and oftentimes, they have a, a sign, isn't it, when you drive through that 
it always tell you do not get out of your car. We watch on YouTube many people kind of turn down the window and then was beaten by animals and kind of thing. Uh, do not roll down the window simply because those animals that look so tame and peaceful, they could rip your head off in a second. And so it's like a restless, it's a tongue is like a restless thing. It is, it is any tongue can stride. It is always liable to break out. You never know what your mouth is going to say. And some people, they are just so hard to control their emotion, they just come out quickly. They don't restrain. It fights against restraint. It doesn't want to be held back. And restless is the is a same word translated unstable. Unstable. It's not like a cage animal, a, a monster of inconsistency, wanting to break out of its restraint. Restraint, but when it breaks out, it carries a death-dealing venom, a snake tongue. That's why it's like a poison. And here, uh, again, James, they say, is the Proverbs of the New Testament. And here in Proverbs, in Old Testament, say the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And Proverbs 13 said, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak harshly will come to ruin. And then Proverbs 21 also says that those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Is it not true to say that many of us got into trouble by what we say? I have made many mistakes as a pastor and, uh, and, and, and I got to learn. You know? Sometimes words does uh, uh, inflict wounds that can, can cause many, many years of damages in people's lives. Physical wounds can be healed in, in a little while, but emotional wounds and all that can last very long. And people can hold on to bitterness and resentment for a prolonged period of time. And some will never get over. Some people bring it to their grave. And they just ruin their remaining life on earth. And so the tongue, so James is saying, well, you've got to control your tongue because it can direct, it can destroy. And uh, thirdly, he says, why? Because my tongue displays who I am. Tongues often betray what is happening inside of us. It betrays what is inside of us. Whatever comes out from our mouth, it displays who we are inside of us. It reveals our real character. It tells what really inside of us. And so James again gave two examples, two illustrations on this point. And quite a daunting one, that we need to be a little bit more sober to ponder on this word. He said this, he said, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And he said, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Is it not true? Sunday we worship the Lord, we praise the Lord, we sing the Lord is our salvation and all that. And maybe on the car, on the way back in the car, we quarrel. We fight, we scream, we argue, we condemn this person. Maybe 
the song leader or the pianist or the pastor preached too long or whatever, you know, uh, on the way back. And one of my ushers, uh, uh, she was doing welcoming. She, she quit. She said, Pastor, it's too difficult to be welcoming people because some people come into church, their face is so long. And uh, he said, we don't know what happened from the house to the church in a car. And I've seen before that people drive into church and then after they drove off. <laughs> Probably had a quarrel in the car and they, had to, they can't come in, they drove back home. Uh, and say, I say, I can't greet people. You know, I don't know, I may say something that will get ex explosion. And here it says, well, the tongue is almost like this kind of strange contradiction, isn't it? The highest use of your mouth is to use it to praise God. We sing praises to God and then we walk out and then our attitude change. We fight, we scold our wife, our children, our husband and our whatever. We just lash out. Isn't it amazing how quickly our attitude can change? In one minute you are saying praise the Lord and next minute you are saying shut up. And the tongue is a strange contradiction. It is so inconsistent. In one minute we praise God and the next we are cursing other people. Cursing here doesn't necessarily mean profanity. It means any kind of put-down labor. You're good for nothing. You never amount to anything. You are just like so-and-so or any kind of thing. Any kind of put-down is a curse. And he said, why curse men when they are made in God's image? And it is, this bothers me immensely. And how is it possible that we can be so loving to those that we love and yet at the same time, we can curse them so violently when we quarrel. How is it possible? How is it possible to be so nice and so loving? And then the next minute, we can just be so violent and say words that hurt people. Well, do you struggle with an inconsistent tongue? Well, James says, well, we all have. We speak lovingly in one breath and then we lash out in the next what gives? What's the problem? Why can we genuinely mean something in love and kindness one minute and then genuinely mean something in hate the next minute? Well, he tracked down the source. James gave another illustration. He said, well, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring bring, produce fresh water. The point is whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Whatever is in the tree comes out in the fruit. Whatever is the likelihood, what is the likelihood of an apple tree producing cherries? And James is saying, my problem is not my tongue, my problem is my heart. What's inside is what comes out. My mouth eventually betrays what is really on the inside of me. I can fool you and pretend, but eventually my tongue is going to catch me. It's going to let you know what's really inside of me. And therefore, Jesus says this, isn't it? Jesus says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, what's inside of you is what's going to come out. My tongue just displays what I am. It directs where I go. It destroys what I have. Most of all, it simply displays what I am. It reveals my character. So James is saying, well, if you have a problem with your tongue, 
is much more serious than you think. You have a heart problem. You need to see a surgeon, cardiologist. A person with a harsh tongue has an angry heart. A person with a negative tongue has a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue has an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. And a person who is critical all the time has a bitter heart. On the other hand, a person who is always encouraging has a happy heart. A person who speaks gently has a loving heart. And a person who speaks truthfully has an honest heart. And so here James tells us, well, the tongue, we need to tame our tongue because it has the potential to direct where you go. It can destroy what you have. It's just displaying what you have or who you are inside of you. So what should we do? What exactly is the solution can we have? Can I just, with the time that I have, give you just very quickly three things. First and foremost, uh, we might need to get a new heart. We might need to get a new heart. You might need to have a heart transplant. Uh, that's what Jesus talked about in James chapter 3, isn't it? You need to be born again. And Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Some of us, we need to, some of us, we need to get a new heart. We need to come before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I need a new heart. I need a heart transplant. I need you to give me a heart of flesh. I need you to transform me from the inside out. I don't want just obeying the external law that please mankind externally. I want a real renovation of my heart. I need a new heart. By the way, there's a book called Renovation of Your Heart by Dallas Willard. I think Dallas, no, no, uh, I can't remember, that. by Willard, something Willard, a great author. Uh, I need to have a complete makeover. I need a new heart. And Jesus and Paul say, well, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And some of us need to be like King David that prayed out, create in me a pure heart. I need a new heart, Lord, uh, because what, what comes out of it is not very nice. I need a new heart. It's not just enough to patch up the external things. I need a new heart. Secondly, if you are like me, you say, well, I already have a new heart. I'm a believer. I've been a Christian for many, many years, but I don't seem to be able to tame the tongue. You seem to kind of let the emotion take over and run with it. And what should I do? I think the second thing is you can't ask God for help every day. Ask God for help every day. Not just ask God for help. Please remember, it's every day. You know the Christian life is walk every day. Take up the cross daily. It's a daily thing. It's not a once-off kind of thing. It's a daily thing. Discipleship, sanctification is a daily thing. It is not a once-off. Justification may be once-off, instant. But sanctification is ongoing. It's a process. It's not instant. Sanctification is a, it's a process, not 
instant justification instant but sanctification is a process and it's an everyday thing everything every day i get up i say i nail myself to the cross the cell need to be nailed to the cross. You need supernatural power to control your tongue. You can't do it on your own. James said, no human being can do that. Your life is a living proof of that. We cannot control it on our own. We need supernatural power. So we ask God to help us every day. Psalms 141 says, sorry, I don't have it here. Is a good verse to memorize. Psalms 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard. God sent a guard over my mouth. God, keep watch over the door of my lips. Great verse to memorize. And we need to quote it every morning. God, put a muzzle over my mouth. Guard my lips. Don't let me be critical today. Don't let me be judgmental. Don't let me say things off the cuff and then I regret. You need to ask God for help daily because you need His power in your life. Someone said the proof that God's Spirit is, is in your life is not that you speak in an unknown tongue but you control the tongue you do know. So we need to ask God for help. We need to daily wake up and say, Lord, send a guard on my mouth to seal my lips. Sometimes don't have to say anything. Silence is golden, even as they say, isn't it? Don't have to ceaselessly defend yourself all the time. Being right is not the most important thing in life. Thirdly, and finally, sorry, I think I might, I might have forgotten to, yeah, this is the one, correct. Think before you speak. Engage your mind before you put your mouth in gear. And here is, uh, we really have to think first. And here I, I, I found this thing which is pretty good. He said, think means this. Before you speak, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring or is it important? Is it necessary? Uh, is it kind? If it is not, maybe we should not say it. Someone has appropriately written this. It's a soft words sung in a lullaby will put a baby to sleep. Excited words will stir a mob to violence. Eloquent words will send armies marching into the face of death. Encouraging words will fan to flame the genius of a Rembrandt or a Lincoln. Powerful words will mold the public mind as the sculptor molds its clay. Words spoken, words spoken or written are a dynamic force. 
Words are the sword we use in our battle for success and happiness. How others react towards us depends in a large measure upon the words we speak to them. And I like this. Life is a great whispering gallery that sends back echoes of the words we send out. Our words live beyond us. They go marching through the years in the lives of all those with whom we come in contact. Can I read the last phrase again? Our words live beyond us. They go marching through the years in the lives of all those with whom we come into contact. May God help us in the way we use our words to build up the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Sometimes your word is not pleasant to read or to listen to. It confronts us. But why do we want to live in a lies? Truth confronts, truth liberates, truth set us free. But unfortunately, truth now is stranger than fiction. Nobody likes truth anymore. And many preachers no longer even want to preach truth. 